Well, if a preacher can't preach after that, he just needs to get saved. Amen? Amen. What a joy to be with uh, Promised Land Missionary Baptist Church today. It's, uh, it's a privilege. It's an honor to be here. Uh, originally, when uh, Brother uh, Josh called me and asked me to come, he, it was a Sunday night. I said, that's fine, you know. And then later, it was a Sunday morning. I said, well, my goodness, many preachers don't like to give up the Sunday morning service. So, uh, But I know this is a special day, special occasion and uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite your attention to the book of Acts, chapter 13. Acts, chapter 13. And again, it is a privilege to be in God's house. You know what? What a wonderful song service today. I really believe the song service has a lot to do with setting the stage for the preaching of the Word of God. And you've done a tremendous job in that. Many of you I've not seen in about 20 years. That's about how long it's been since I pastored in this association. And uh, some of you are just looking older, you know. And uh, I told that to someone this morning. They said, well, us? Look at you. And I said, yeah, I know. There's been some changes there too. So, Why do we exist? As a New Testament church, and I believe we need to come to this question time and time again in our life. Well, what are we here to accomplish? Why are we here? What is the purpose? What is the reason for a New Testament church? Well, you know, as you look in here... Uh, We'll get to some of that, a little bit of that here in just a few moments. But what I want you to see in Acts chapter 13, you know, we're talking about sending churches. And Brother Josh had expressed to me, you know, about talking about sending church, what it takes to be a, a sending church. And as I began to study and pray about this, the Lord revealed some things to, uh, to me. And what we're going to talk about today is the spiritual side of this. You see, but before we actually get into the physical side, there's a spiritual side to this. When we get our heart right, then we'll be able to do what God would have us uh, to do in His work. And so, Acts chapter 13, we'll just look at the first three verses this morning. It says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaen, which was brought up with uh, Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul. For the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Let's pray. Father, we are privileged to gather around Your Word this morning in this capacity to come to Your house to worship You in spirit and in truth. And Father, I pray now that You would remove any distraction that's in our hearts and in our minds. I pray, Lord, that if there be someone here this morning that's never accepted Christ as Savior, that, Lord, today would be the day of their salvation. They would repent of sin and trust Jesus as Savior. Father, I pray this morning that I would decrease and that You would increase in this message. Help us, Lord, just plant these words in our heart and help us be the people, the church, the individuals, corporately as Your church, Lord, here, the church You want us to be. Help us to understand why we exist and why we're here. And Lord, just give us that fervor to carry out Your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I asked the question there a few minutes ago, why do we exist as churches of the Lord Jesus? You'd be surprised if you ask people that question, how many different answers uh, that, that you might get back. Many people have many different... Uh, you know, you ask ten people, you may get ten different answers as, as to really what is the purpose and the function of a New Testament church. Well, we really don't have to question that because the Bible is very clear about why we're here. 
and, and what we're to accomplish while we're here. Let me just remind you again this morning of some words from our Lord, from the lips of our Lord's Himself. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And then you go just a little bit further over in the book of Mark, chapter 16 and verse 15. Jesus said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And it sounds like there, there's, a, there's a word that you're going to hear over and over and over. And it has to do with going. It has to do with preaching. It has to do with all nations hearing the gospel of the Lord Jesus. In Luke chapter 24, the Bible says, "...and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem." And so in other words, we're to, we're to take the gospel to our home front and then branch out from there unto a lost and dying world. If you remember, even in John's account, after the resurrection of the Lord, when Jesus appeared uh, to the disciples there while they were locked behind closed doors for fear of the Jews, Jesus said unto them, As my Father has sent me, even so, in the same manner, so send I you. And I'm sure you're familiar with the very last words that came from the lips of our Lord right before He ascended up in a cloud before His New Testament church. Jesus said unto them in Acts 1.8, Ye shall be witnesses unto Me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And then He vanished out of sight. David Hasselgrave, a great Christian writer, wrote these words. He says, The primary mission of the Lord's churches is to proclaim the gospel of Christ, to gather believers into local churches where they can be built up in the faith, made effective in service, thereby planning new congregations throughout the world. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. You see, every New Testament church is to be a missionary sending church. That's God's plan. And we see it all through the New Testament here. To reproduce other churches. To reproduce ourselves in other places. You see, folks, biblical missionaries are church-sent missionaries. And that's not hard to solve because the Bible is so clear on this issue. Remember, I don't think you can get any better from the words of the Apostle Paul himself in Romans 10 and verse 15. He said, how can they preach unless they be sent? You see, it's all about sending, going. Who's going to go? Who's going to send? Well, what a privilege when God raises up someone in a church to a work that is ordained of God, and the church seizes the opportunity to send them out. That, that's, why we're, that's why we exist. That, that's what's going on in Acts chapter 13. This is the occasion for us today. I mean, this is very practical. By the way, you can't get any more practical than the Word of God. This is not just an old, outdated, archaic book. This is the living Word of God. The Bible is not just what God said, it is what He is saying. It's present tense. 
And so when you come to the book of Acts chapter 13, it showcases for us one of the clearest patterns of of a church sending out missionaries. You see, this church at Antioch was a remarkable church. We don't have time today to get into all the details of the church here uh, at Antioch in Syria. But, But listen, we owe so much of who we are today to the faithfulness of this church. Do you realize that they they sent out Saul and Barnabas and the missionary journeys of Paul and eventually the the gospel reached even up into Europe and then from Europe it came to where we are in the United States and I'm telling you, we owe a lot to, to who we are, what we are, simply because of the obedience of this church. Well, what are the ingredients for being an effective sending Can I just tell you, that's what you want to be. Amen? Folks, I I spend a lot of time dealing with churches and missionaries. (laughs) And seeing the good, bad, and ugly. Uh, And and I hate to say it that way, but but it's just true. Matter of fact, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. The other day I was in the office, and a lot of times while I'm in the office, um, some of my time is spent simply just counseling missionaries on the phone. Missionaries calling in, Brother Josh, with questions. Maybe they have problems on their field. They just need somebody to talk to. It's not that I've got all the answers. It's just sometimes they just need somebody with a listening ear to hear what they're saying. And, and the other day, that this missionary called and just had some terrible issues going on. And we talked, and I listened there for probably an hour there on the phone. And he ended the conversation by saying this. He said, Brother Sellers, thank you for taking your time just to listen to me. And I said, no problem, brother. Whatever we can do to help. And we prayed together and, and all that. He said, by the way, I just want to let you know, I can't talk to my pastor about that. I said, why? He said, well, my pastor told me when I come on the field that he didn't want to hear about problems. He had enough of his own. And I'm going to tell you, friend, you can imagine how that relationship is going to go down the road. Uh, there are such things as sponsoring churches. Uh, we use that terminology. We understand what we mean by that. But I'm telling you, if you want the truest biblical word, it is sending churches. You, there's, you know, I, I can sponsor a child overseas from some uh, organization and throw money at it every month and maybe get a picture or an update uh, you know, every now and then. But, but listen, it's not personal. Uh, I don't raise the child. I don't have anything to do with the discipline of the child. I don't see the growth of the child. And, and listen, it's one thing to sponsor somebody. It's another to send somebody. Because when you send, that's the personal touch. Hands on all the way. And that's what you have in the Word of God. So what are the ingredients for being an effective uh, church and a vital, focused relationship with her missionary? In other words, here's the question I'm asking. What kind of church does God desire to use as a sending church? Well, we see it right here in our text. And i got four things I want to share with you today. And I know... Uh, Hey, listen, if y'all will smile and say amen and act like you're interested, we'll get through in record time, okay? Uh, but, but if not, you'll all have to come down here and do all the motions of Father Abraham. I can't, all right? I want to share four ingredients with you this morning. Now remember, we're just talking spiritually. We've got to get our hearts right. We've got to get our minds right. But before you, you know, a lot of people want to run to the field and a lot of people will just, you know, want to get hooked up with a missionary or nothing wrong with that. But let me tell you something, the heart's got to be right. That this is, this is a situation in the Word of God where God just broke through. 
and was able to use this church to send out these missionaries? What were they doing? What kind of people uh, were they? What was it is God looking for uh, in a sending church? Four things very quickly. Number one, you see here is a sending church. They were a supernatural church. Now, don't throw anything at me yet. Let me explain what I mean. They were a supernatural church. You say, Brother Brian, what do you mean by that? Well, the word supernatural simply means not explainable by the known forces or laws of nature. Well, usually that's what we say. When something is unexplainable, we call it what? Supernatural. We just don't, we just don't have an explanation for it. And we see that, but I want you to look in the 11th chapter of the book of Acts where you see this supernatural church. You see, there's a lot going on here in the 10th and 11th chapter. If you remember, persecution's going on. Stephen has been stoned. And after that, the church has been scattered, okay? Matter of fact, earlier, remember, Jesus told them, Acts 1-8, "...ye shall be witnesses unto me." Both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the uttermost part of the earth. And therefore, a while, the church did nothing. So God allowed persecution to come in order to scatter the church out into the regions where He told them to go. And so there's a, these people are going everywhere. They're going to Cyprus. They're going, the Bible says they're even going to Antioch. Look at verse 22 of Acts chapter 11. Then tidings of these things, what are these things? Listen, the gospel who went so far as to Antioch, uh, not only were Jews getting saved, but Gentiles were getting saved. And then the Word came back to the church at Jerusalem. They heard about it. And they said, what in the world? Hey, we got to send somebody to check on this. And the Bible says they sent Barnabas. Look here now, verse 22. The tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Now, now look at this. Underline this. Draw some exclamation points around it. This is exciting. Who when he came and had seen the grace of God. Think it. Don't over, don't overlook that statement. Listen, you're talking about a 300 mile trip from Jerusalem to Antioch. How long did that take him? Bible doesn't tell us. Well, they didn't have Amtrak, did they? Didn't have an airplane or nothing else. I'm telling you, it took him a while to get there. And when he got there, the first thing that he was confronted with, the very first thing he saw was the grace of God. Now, think about that for a moment. Uh, you say, that's, that's kind of a strange statement. How do you see grace? Uh, grace is a spiritual intangible. Uh, and what I mean by that is, uh, what color is grace? What size is it? What shape is it? It's something you can't feel, you know, you can't touch, you can't, you can't smell. It, it, it's an intangible. But the Bible says that, that as soon as that Barnabas got there, he had seen the grace of God and was glad. He saw, you say, how do you see something that's intangible? Well, as I began to look at this, Brother Josh, the Lord revealed something to me. Do you all remember the story back over in the book of Mark chapter 2? Where you had four guys and they had a friend on a stretcher. He was a paralyzed guy and they were trying to get this guy to Jesus. You remember they got to the house there and they couldn't get in. The crowds were there. There's no way they could get in. Well, that didn't stop these guys, did it? No, they got up on the roof and the Bible says they, they tore the roof apart and they let down their friend unto Jesus. But here's what the Bible says that Jesus said. It says, when Jesus saw their faith... You see, faith is another intangible. How, how do you see faith? Uh, listen folks, uh, this is an amazing thing. He saw the effects of their faith. He saw what faith produced in their life. 
And that's what Barnabas is seeing when he got to Antioch, the church at Antioch. The first thing he was confronted with was that he said, I saw the grace of God. And in other words, here's the deal. Listen, there's only one explanation for what's going on in Antioch. I don't have the answers to it. Only God's doing this. That's a supernatural church, by the way. And let me say something this morning that you already know. Grace is something we ought to be confronted with every time we come together as a New Testament church. You ought to see the grace of God on everybody's face. You understand grace, don't you? Grace is that undeserved, unmerited favor of God. God given to me what I do not deserve. I was dead in my trespasses and in my sins. Cut off from Christ. Estranged from Christ. But by His grace... We just sung about it a minute ago. Amazing! That's all we can say. It's an amazing... We can't explain it. But aren't you grateful this morning for the grace of God? You see, that's supernatural. It it really is. Uh, uh, he, He saw the effects of grace. You know, you can tell when grace is at work in a church. Uh, you know, this morning when I called out my text, I saw a lot of people. I'm going to be honest with you, I'm old-fashioned. I love to hear them pages turn. Amen? I do. I have nothing wrong with a screen, but when it comes to the Word, get the book out. Amen? I mean, uh, I heard a preacher the other day. He was preaching. He had an iPad in his hand. He said, this is the Word of God. And I thought to myself, no, it ain't. That's a computer. Anyway, <laughs> brother, this is the Word of God. Amen? <laughs> hey, don't stone me. Don't shout me down yet. Uh but you can tell when grace, get, get the picture, this is the church that God's using, is about to use to send out these missionaries. When Barnabas got there, he was confronted with the grace of God. I mean, when Bibles are opened and people are, are, are hungry for the Word, that's grace at work. That's grace at work. What singing going on. My goodness, the singing this morning was great. But, but, but have you ever just been to a song service that just made you want to have an invitation? I'm telling you, that, that, that's just grace. The Bible says in Colossians 3.16, teaching and admonishing one another. And psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Listen to this. Singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. You see, uh, maybe there's times when the Word is opened and, and, and people hear the preached Word or the taught Word and tears come to their eyes. You, you know what I mean? And They get all emotional. What is that? That's grace. That's grace. Fellowshipping that's going on. People hugging one another's neck. Not wanting to leave the church. I'm telling you, first church I pastored, y'all know where it's at. <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm telling you, as soon as the last amen was said, boom, you better look out. Because I mean, people plow you over getting out. You know what I mean? But boy, it's so good to see after a few years that... You're just like, does anybody have a key? Would you mind locking up? You know what I mean? They just want to stay. You see, folks, that what is that? That's grace. Here's an amazing thing. It's amazing how everybody here today, different people from different walks of life, different backgrounds, maybe some even with different cultures, and how God can put it all together and make it work. You see, when Barnabas got on the scene, what he saw was Jew and Gentile alike. This was a big deal, y'all. This was a major deal. Because you remember the 10th chapter, the deal with Cornelius and how God had to work on Peter's heart 
in order to even go in that man's house and tell him about the Lord. You, you know, I mean, there, there's a, the wall is beginning to break down. Gentiles are beginning to be introduced into the church. And so what kind of church does God want to use? He wants to use a supernatural church. I want you to think of this. Grace not only saves you, but grace grows you. Second uh, Peter chapter 3 says, Grow in grace and in knowledge. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about grace, folks. And, and what grace says is, I'm not worthy. I know what I am. I know what I came from. I know what the Lord saved me from. That's grace. And yet, that should be the constant attitude of our churches today. You see, when you come to God's house, it's not about you. It's about Him. We'll get to that in just a minute. We're, we're about to get done. Y'all doing good. Okay? Think about this. Here was a city with a population of approximately a half million people. Study Antioch in Syria. There's two Antiochs in the Bible. One is Antioch Pisidia, which is north of here. This is Antioch, Syria. Had a population of about a half million people. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was a city known for its luxurious immorality. That's what it was known for. It was a city of a sports gone mad. Kind of sounds like America, doesn't it? It was a city of chariot racing and loose living and night clubbing. That's what Antioch was. But yet into this city, the gospel of Jesus Christ was carried and individuals came to know Christ as their Savior. And they were converted. And get this at verse 26. And when he, uh, here in chapter 11. And when he had found about Saul, he came to Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. That was a derogatory name, by the way. That this was not complimentary. That they were looking at the lives of this people and they were saying, you act like that Christ one. But yet one of the greatest compliments a child of God can ever have. Christian. You know, we throw that word around today very loosely. Let me tell you, there's something to being a Christian. Okay? That's another sermon at another time. But here, here's what I'm saying. In this city where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. What kind of God? What kind of church is God looking for? Uh, the church that, that gives Him the honor and Him the glory. It, it, it's a church. It's all about grace. It's not about me. It's not about my wishes and my wants. It's all about Jesus. This is the church that the Lord's using. Secondly, we see not only a supernatural church, but let's get back into our text in Acts 13. I want you to see a serving church. This was a church that was all about service. Acts chapter 13. Look at verse 2. Don't overlook these first few words. As they ministered to the Lord. That's a big deal, y'all. <laughs> As they ministered... This is the church at Antioch. As they ministered to the Lord. What does that mean? That means they had a uniform worship. That they were together. They were unified. That word ministered, by the way, is a word that was used... Uh, it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. It was a word that was used uh, of the work of the Levitical priest. Priests bringing people into the presence of the Lord. It carries the idea here of public service, get this, conducted at one's own expense. Think about that for a moment. You see, the elders at Antioch were not in it for the money. Amen? Theirs was a sacrificial service. The church was not... It wasn't about them. 
that they ministered unto the Lord. It cost them something to serve. And that's the church that the Lord's going to use. You see, this church didn't have a what can you offer me mentality. You know, a lot of times we get that in churches. People will come to your church and the first thing they'll say, well, what can you do for me? What can you offer to me? Hello, the truth. The Bible says, buy the truth and sell it not. Amen. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. <laughs> no man comes to the Father but by me. Hey, y'all, if you're going to go to heaven, you've got to go through Jesus. That's what Jesus said. And so, well, yeah, but, but that's the way a lot of people are. What can you do for me? That was not the church at Antioch as they ministered unto the Lord. They served the Lord. You see, church to them was not about their comfort. It was not about their wants, their wishes, their whims. It was all about Jesus. Oh, I'm telling you, great things happening when the Lord's glorified. Unto Him be glory in the church. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. That was the church in Antioch. That's the church that God's using. You know, I was thinking about this minister to the Lord. I, thought, I was thinking about pastors. You know, pastors being as ministers of the Word of God. Uh, do you realize that, that for a pastor that preaching is part of his worship experience? It is. I mean, you, he prepares messages. He prays over the messages. He agonizes with God about what am I going to say? What do you want me to say to your people today? And when the preaching times comes, we just bring that sermon to the Lord as an offering unto Him. That's what this means, as they ministered to the Lord. I think about teachers preparing lessons for their classes. All the hours of study, preparation, everything that's involved. Oh, I'm telling you, Bible school will wear you out, will it not? But what a blessing. But what a blessing. Those who sing specials, musicians, all the practice that, that's involved as you minister unto the Lord. Folks, this is all about Jesus. Can I say something this morning that you already know, but it just maybe, maybe somebody needs a reminder? <laughs> this is not your church. This is His church. This is an institution that is bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not, oh, this is not your work. This is His work. Right? The Bible says we're to pray for more that God would what send more laborers into His harvest. You see, it's not your church. It's not your work. And a lot of times we get caught up in that. But it's not about you. It's all about Jesus. It's a, we're just a servant. I mean, how many times do you see Paul in the book, uh, in the Bible, referring to himself as a doulos, as a servant of the Lord Jesus? That's all he was. Folks, listen, on your best day, you're a sinner saved by the grace of God. That's the kind of church God wants to use. It's not our church, it's the Lord's church. So it's a serving church, but thirdly, I want you to see that it was a spiritual church. Look at verse 2 again, as they minister to the Lord, but look at this word. It's the word that Baptists love to erase. And fasted. And fasted. When's the last time you heard a sermon on fasting? Hmm? Hey, us Baptists, we're good about fellowshipping, aren't we? Hmm, what about fasting? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, people don't like that, preacher. You, you're getting close. Uh, you're getting too close. Uh, well, I'm telling you, friend, the, the, the Lord is about to break through in this church. And I want you to see what this church was doing. That they were praying unto the Lord. They were fasting. 
You, you see, they were a spiritual church. You say, what is fasting? Fasting means to do without food. It also means to do without other legitimate things in order to give full attention and total concentration to spiritual things. When was the last time you let it all go to the side in order to get along with God? It means that you get so engrossed in fellowship with God and talking to God that material things just kind of fade into the background. Amen. You ever been there? Some of the most joyous times, sometimes in Bible study, you look down, oh my goodness, it's 3 o'clock, I missed lunch. Oh, it's like Jesus said when His disciples said, I wonder who gave Him something to eat. He said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. You see what I mean? Listen, folks, it's something that is deeply personal. Deeply private between you and the Lord. And it's connected with prayer. You'll never see prayer or fasted mentioned without prayer somewhere around it. Matter of fact, look at verse 3. And when they had fasted and what? There you go. You see that they're connected together. Now here's a picture of a church at Antioch at worship. The Word of God is paramount. Prayer is paramount. Fasting is paramount. And listen, when these commodities are present... When a church is worshiping the Lord through the Word of God in prayer, then they're developing an atmosphere where the Spirit of God can break free and speak to that congregation. This is an awesome passage of Scripture. It's an awesome event that is happening in the life here of this church. Folks, I'm telling you, it's a wonderful thing when God speaks in a service. You ever heard Him speak? You say, well, I've never heard an, an, an audible voice. And, well, I'm telling you, it doesn't have to be an audible voice. God can speak and never say a word. And I'm telling you, He can get your attention. I was passing a church in Warren, Arkansas. Right in the middle of church service, we had a man pass away. Massive heart attack. And it was just one of those freak deals that happened. You know, I've had them pass away before church and after church, but not right in the middle. You know? But... Uh, after we got everything, all the details worked out, had nurses there, thank God for that. But it was just one of those things the Lord was ready for and took him home right then. You know what I mean? But hey, what a, what, a, what a place to go from. Amen? But we got out there in the ambulance, got him loaded up, and by the time I got back in the church, the whole church is at the altar. Listen, you couldn't pay somebody to walk the aisle in that church, hardly. But when God speaks, He can get everybody's attention. You see what I mean? And I'm going to tell you, in a way, revival broke out. It's amazing the things that... Please, I'm not saying I hope that happens today in our service. Please understand. But what I'm saying, folks, it's, it's a privilege. It's a wonderful thing when God speaks. Notice it says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, then what? The Holy Ghost said. You see that? that they were in tune with the Holy Spirit of God. They were listening for the voice of God. Is that you today? Are you listening for the voice of God today? Jesus said, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Amen. He said that over and over in Revelation. He that has an ear. Oh, what a wonderful thing to hear God speak. And then lastly, it was a sacrificial church. Look at verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Get this, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work were unto... I have called them. Now I want you to see who the Lord chose. He'd already chosen them for the work that I have called them. This is a burden God had already put on their heart. Okay? It just wasn't made known till right there to the church. And, and so if you go back to verse 1, it mentions five names. And we know the first one and we know the last one. 
Barnabas and Saul. You see that? The other guys we don't know much about. Not saying they're not important. But we know Barnabas and we know Saul. And right in the middle is that we're ministering unto the Lord. These two, I'm going to tell you something about Saul and Barnabas. These men were precious to that church. They had spent a whole year there. Remember we just read that in chapter 11? He went and got Saul. Barnabas did. They came to the church. Spent a whole year there teaching. These were teachers. These were instructors. These two men were precious to this church. And right here in the midst of it, God calls out, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Separate me. Well, you know, that tells us something about the man. If you're going to send a man... Somewhere, you know, you need to know a little bit about the man. Amen? It amazes me today how many churches will send a missionary and they don't even have a relationship with him. Really? Don't know much about him. I'm telling you folks, these men were precious to this church. But listen, if you're going to send a man, know the man. And let me tell you some things you ought to know. Questions you ought to ask yourself. Number one, is he faithful? Is he faithful? Number two, is he truly converted and called? You see, the church knew this. The, the Lord revealed it to them. Number three, is he disciplined? Is he disciplined? Number four, is he doctrinally sound? You ought to know that. I'm telling you, we've lost a lot of works in our works simply because people never ask the important questions. Do you believe like we do? You know what I mean? Is his marriage and family spiritually, emotionally, and physically healthy? These are important things before they go on the field. Is he evangelistic? I'm telling you folks, if they're not that way at home, what makes you think they're going to be that way across town? Right? Number The last one, is he able to endure hardness? That's what the Bible teaches a minister of God, to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, mission work is hard work. I don't care if you're going across town or going across the pond. It's hard work. The church in Antioch seen its two best men. Listen, listen to this. They sent their two best men they had to the mission field. And these men were not novices. They were men who had proven themselves. They had labored in the church. The church had grown under their ministry. They were loved men, trusted men, respected men, and consulted men. That's who God chose. You see, to send these men to the mission field would kind of be like cutting off an arm and a leg. And what I mean by sacrificial church, do you know the questions that this church could have said? Uh, the Holy Spirit said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called. Can you imagine what some of them were thinking? Barnabas and Saul, not them. They're the best we got. Who's going to replace them? Huh? Can you imagine maybe the questions that were that were going through people's hearts and and, and racing in, in their minds? We can't do without them. Send somebody else, but but not them. But I want you to see what the church did. Verse three: When they had fasted and prayed, laid their hands on them. Here it is: They, the church, sent them away. You see how how they were sacrificial. It wasn't about their, their comfort and their wants and their wishes. It was all about the will of God. And they said, you know, the Lord, if this is who you want, it's the best we've got. <laughs> Take them. Use them for your honor and glory. I believe our missionaries ought to be the best we have. 
Folks, I want to tell you something. Missionaries, a lot of people think missionaries are just guys that couldn't make it in the business world or, you know, and they just, oh, I'll just go to Africa. Uh, I'm telling you, we need to have respect for these men. That's a calling of God. It's a hard calling. They, the church, sent them away. Mission work is costly. There's a great responsibility in sending a missionary. They laid their hands on them. What does that mean? That means authorization. They're authorizing them for the work that God has called them to do. But folks, it also means identification. Don't overlook that. Laying on of hands means more than just, here's my authority, God bless you. You know what I mean? A lot of churches do that with missionaries. They'll say, oh, we'll sponsor you. Here's our authority. God bless you. Ah, Be warmed and filled. You know what I mean? But laying on of hands means not only authorization, but identification. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament when people brought a sacrifice to the priest. You remember what they were to do? Before they gave that sacrifice, they were to put their hands on that sacrifice. Why? To identify with the fact, that should be me as a substitute for me. And you see, that's what sending a missionary is all about. It's not just just taking a guy and putting him somewhere. Oh my goodness, you're sending part of yourself. And folks, listen, that's exciting. Is it not? You're sending, you're saying, we're going with you. That's what you're saying. We're going with you. That's exciting. Here's what you to do for your missionary. Remember them. Three times in the book of Philippians, when Paul's writing this letter, he tells the church at Philippi, remember us. Remember us. Remember them. Pray for them. And I'm not talking about microwave prayers. You know what I mean? They're lay me down to sleep prayers. I'm talking about prayer. As they prayed and fasted. You see, they got serious with God and God got serious with them. You want to see God do a work in our churches today? Get serious with God. He'll do it. Communicate with them. One of the biggest things I hear against churches today, or missionaries in church, is the lack of communication. Ah, communicate with them. Cry with them. It's going to be rough. Oh, they go out with a big plan, uh, and you don't want to bust anybody's bubble, but they got the goal in mind, and they got, you know, every, and all of a sudden, boom, something happens. There comes the tears. The heart's broken. What do you do? You cry with them. You rejoice with them. Amen? Listen, their work is your work. That's the relationship God wants to have with the church and the missionary. It's been said that the measure of a church's effectiveness is not seen in its seating capacity so much as it is in its sending capacity. See, it's not about the seating capacity. It's about the sending capacity. May the Lord use this church to send more people to the work that He has ordained. Let's stand together this morning. We're going to have a verse of invitation hymn. There may be someone here today who needs to make a decision for the Lord. I don't know where this message finds you, but I know it finds us somewhere. I just pray you allow God. If you need to be saved, you come. If there's commitments that need to be made, come. Whatever the Lord is dealing with you to do today, come. Oh, I'm telling you folks, there's great things in store when you have this kind of relationship with missionaries today. Let's pray. Father, thank You again for Your Word and what it means to us. And I pray now You bless this invitation as only You can. In Jesus' name, Amen. As we sing this morning.